Good morning, brothers and sisters. Thank you for the privilege of sharing God's Word with you this morning. Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 4. And thank you so much for bearing with me in my seasonal allergies. Pray for the Lord to give my voice strength. I woke up this morning with this voice. And so in Mark chapter 4, we find a parable, a parable that tells us how the gospel of the kingdom grows. A short story told by Christ that tells us how the good news of his kingdom grows. The main point from this text is that God's good news of God's kingdom grows God's way for God's glory. I want us to see from this text 10 different things that we'll learn about how the gospel grows. Already in this book of Mark that you all have been in for several weeks, you've learned a lot about the nature of the kingdom of God that has come, that Jesus has ushered in by coming in human flesh. You've learned in the chapters prior to Mark chapter 4 that Jesus has authority over the evil forces, over the demonic powers. You've seen Jesus cast out demons. You've seen him exercise his authority not only over demons, but also disease. And we know that Jesus' authority is not only limited to authority over demons, evil forces, disease, and other natural problems that we have, but death itself. And this, my friends, is Jesus modeling and teaching what the kingdom of God is, and he's ushering in, by modeling and teaching, he's ushering in the kingdom of God. And so as we ramp up to this story Jesus tells, which is one among many stories in which Jesus illustrates that the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like that, he uses common objects, artifacts, experiences that people have And he says, the kingdom of God is kind of like this. The kingdom of God is kind of like that. And today we see an agricultural example in which Jesus says it's kind of like farming, planting seeds. And here's how the seed grows. And there's a lot of mystery here, Jesus says. But in the end, we trust that God is growing his kingdom. And we celebrate that growth of the good news of the kingdom, even when we don't feel like it. Even when we find ourselves in a place where we don't understand, we embrace the mystery of the growth of the good news of Jesus' kingdom. What I'm about to do by giving you 10 things that I've learned from this story is a little bit risky. I don't generally preach 10 principles out of a parable because generally speaking, a parable was given as a simple short story Jesus gave in order to teach us usually one main thing. Sometimes there are a couple of main points. So again, the main point here, thank you, Pastor Garrison. I think I might be ready to go for at least a couple hours now. I was feeling like maybe 40 minutes was a good target, but cheers. And so when we approach God's Word, we always consider what type of literature this is. This is a parable, a short story with one primary meaning, and that primary meaning is That God's gospel of God's kingdom grows God's way for God's glory. 
And yet I see many things in here that we'll walk through, some of them more inferences, some of them directly coming from the text, but all of them pointing to that one central point. The parable right up to this one told us the why of the good news of God's kingdom spreading. And that why is, Jesus' example was the lamp under the basket. And by design, lights shine. That's the why. God has worked it out this way and designed it this way. Now we see the how in this parable of the seed growing. So let's read Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29 out loud together. And let's stand in order to honor the reading of God's word. Mark 4, 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. My prayer this morning is that God would bless the reading and the preaching of his word so that many would come to know him and those who do know him would be strengthened in their faith. And as we approach this text, I want to approach it from those three ways. I want to encourage you, perhaps some of you are here and maybe you've heard the gospel or maybe you're here visiting a family member or a neighbor, a friend invited you to come and you're not a citizen of God's kingdom yet. Let me encourage and invite you to consider how the gospel grows and maybe today would be the day that upon hearing the gospel, this good news of Jesus' kingdom preached, today might be the day that you repent of your sins Turn from your way of living, and you believe in Jesus and all that he's done to bring God's kingdom to bear and his lordship into your life. There's a second group of people here, and that's those of you who are here, and you are a citizen of God's kingdom. You've embraced the message that Jesus Christ is Lord. You've turned from your way. You've agreed, I'm not boss. Jesus is the boss. And you're growing. This parable is also for you, to help you, fellow Christian, brother or sister, to help you grow, to help the gospel grow deeper into your heart and into your lives. And then there's a third way, a third angle that I want you to consider this text, and that is that there are lessons here for all of us who are Christian people who wish to become better at proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Telling other people about the good news of Jesus is an intimidating task for some because they feel inadequate ill-equipped or ill-prepared in order to do that because sometimes people have questions you can't answer and the list goes on of excuses we have for not proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. I believe that as we look at this parable, we'll see some encouraging training for all of us who aspire to be more effective evangelists, all of us who aspire to be more effective at sharing the gospel with others around us. So in this simple parable of the seed growing, Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. The first thing that I want you to consider from this text is 
the starting point. When Jesus talks about the farmer scattering seed on the ground or planting his crops, the farmer knows the condition of the soil in which he's planting the seed. The farmer knows also that he has to rotate his crops. If any of you garden and you're working toward a self-sustaining lifestyle in any kind of a way where you produce your own food in your backyard or whatever the case may be, you know you've got to have the right vitamins and minerals and conditions of the soil in order for the seed to take root and flourish and bear fruit. Well, I think that this is a very good lesson for us, and we learn this from other places in the scripture as well, that when the seed is put into the soil, there's a starting point of that soil. Spiritually speaking, as the good news of the kingdom is proclaimed, there's a starting point to the human heart that is not neutral. In other words, all soil is not in the same place, nor is every human heart in exactly the same place. We all start our lives far from God, but there are some who are near to God than others. They are more near to God than they were 10 years ago. But the main thing I want you to consider as we think about the starting point of the human condition is that none of us are neutral, and nobody that you share the gospel with is in a neutral place, morally speaking. There is a myth of neutrality that we can wrongly believe, just thinking that if somebody would have all their answer, their questions answered, if they could have all their opposition to the gospel um, alleviated. If every supposed and apparent error in the Bible could be clarified, well, then people would come in droves to know Christ. But the reality is that we have a depraved human condition. We, we were started, God created us very good with great glory in the Garden of Eden. But ever since the fall of Adam, that sin has been passed on to every human being. And we are unable to escape human depravity. We're corrupted by the fall. We're each one in rebellion against God's design. The book of Romans teaches we're desperate in need of redemption. That's why, given this starting point of the human condition, it's essential that those brothers and sisters who are here, you want to grow in being able to more effectively proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to others around you. You must do so understanding that others are in a starting point of rebellion against God their creator. There's a second principle here, and that is the principle of the seed. He scatters the seed on the ground. Well, in the parable, the seed is one of the primary points here. What is the seed, spiritually speaking? We all know that if you plant a a kernel of corn in the ground, then you're going to see corn grow up. If you plant beans, you'll have a bean plant. Well, what kind of seed is Jesus referring to? Jesus is referring here, and he elsewhere describes the seed as the gospel message. The seed is not an inner spark. The seed is not an inspirational word. The seed is not even the stars or a beautiful sunset. As amazing as all of those things are and can be, the seed is none of these things. The seed does not come from within or even from nature. The seed comes from God himself in the form of a person. Jesus Christ, whose life, whose work, whose accomplishment through the cross in which he died, his defeat of the grave, his resurrection from the tomb, 
and his ascension then to the right hand of the Father 40 days later. And now his lordship over all, ruling and reigning from the right hand of God. Jesus Christ and all that he is and all that he has accomplished is himself the gospel. The seed originates neither in human nature nor in nature around us, but the seed of the gospel and its growth is God's word. I want you to look at 1 Peter 1.23 because this is where we see a very clear connection Peter makes for us. 1 Peter 1.23 Because you may say, well, Jesus isn't here. But if I would have been around 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here, if I could have touched him, if I could have seen the miracles, if he would have healed me of my blindness, I would have certainly believed. And we can all have those kinds of visions of grandeur, but the Bible teaches that that's not the case. In fact, Jesus' words were, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. What Jesus gave us is a Holy Spirit who gives us this inspired word so that in his inspired word we might come to know him. Look at what Peter says, 1 Peter 1. Verse 23 says, since you have been born again. He's commanding them to love one another, and that love comes from this experience of being born again. Verse 23 says, now here's, here's what I want you to pay close attention to. Highlight, underline, circle, write it down. You have been born again, not of perishable seed. That would be the inner spark. I had a, I, I saw the night sky. I saw a beautiful sunset or an amazing painting, and I was moved, and I was compelled to just believe in God. And No, Peter says, we've been born again by God, not of perishable seed or the works of mankind, but of imperishable seed through what? The living and abiding word of God. And this, my friends, is why throughout hundreds of years of church history, pastors and church members have realized, they've recognized that a church does not exist where the word of the gospel is not proclaimed. But where the word of the gospel is proclaimed, there indeed is a possibility for a local church to exist. And those who then proclaim that word through the ordinances and through practicing church discipline. Verse 24 tells us a little bit more about the word of God and why it's so valuable and able even to be the vehicle that the Holy Spirit uses to convert us. Look at this. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It's so important for us in asking the how of gospel growth that gospel growth doesn't happen because your church finally figures out the right program. Gospel growth doesn't happen because your church finally has the right amount of money to do the missions and the other things that they want to do, the right ministries. Gospel growth doesn't happen because you've read the, the most recent book that gives the most amazing strategy for the local church to grow. No, gospel growth is tied inextricably, unavoidably. Gospel growth happens when the word of God is proclaimed. One of the reasons I 
appreciate, respect, and honor Veritas so much and your, your pastors, your elders here is because of their commitment to the proclamation of the Word of God. No matter what confusion or no matter what fallout happens because people don't agree with God's Word, they stand firm in preaching God's Word. It's God's Word that the Holy Spirit uses to confront us, convict us, but also compel us and bring us to Jesus where we meet Him in all of His grace, in all of His glory. In addition to understanding a starting point of the soil and the seed, which is the gospel, I want you to observe a third thing from the text here. As we consider the farmer scattering or casting the seed on the ground, I want you to think about the strategy that a farmer rotates his crops from field to field, and yet he sows the seed indiscriminately. He considers the soil, but he also scatters and spreads the seed everywhere. There is indeed a strategy, and that is very simple. The gospel goes forth to everyone everywhere. A book called The Trellis and the Vine has been helpful to me. And there's a quote in there that reads like this. The basic work of any Christian, any Christian ministry, is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of God's Spirit and to see people converted, changed, and grow to maturity in the gospel. I understand that when you think about how hardened your neighbor might be to the gospel, this good, they don't think the good news of Jesus' kingdom is good news at all. To them, it's bad news. They don't see the glory. They don't see the beauty. They don't see the truth. And it can be temptation for Christians to see that hardened person and say, they're not going to believe. They're going to reject. But the strategy is not contingent upon whether we think that God is going to save them or not. The strategy is that the gospel goes to everyone everywhere. And aren't you glad that the gospel went to a murderer of Christians, the Apostle Paul? And God in his divine favor saw fit to save the Apostle Paul and convert him and change him from being a murderer to being a proclaimer of the gospel. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 tells us very clearly that our job as being witnesses of Jesus goes in all places. Local, so that's your neighborhood, that's Dayton, that's where you live. To a ring outside, that's our whole city. To our whole state, to our nation, and to the nations, all of them. When I pastored before I came into this role leading the Dayton Association of Baptists a couple of years ago, our church was always talking together, and I know that you do as well, as I've conversed with Garrison over the years. We were always talking about examining, are we being intentional to equip our people to share the gospel with their neighbor and with those abroad and those elsewhere? And this is a tough thing. It's a tall order. And not everybody can go overseas, But joining hands with those who can go overseas is essential to fulfilling this great commission that Jesus gives us. So I would ask you, in your life personally, but also as it applies to this church as a whole, this family of Veritas as a whole, are you being intentional? How is it, who is it that God's placed in your life and how is it that you can make opportunity 
to engage in gospel growth strategically. There's a fourth principle here, and that is to scatter. Some of your translations say, not scatter seed, but cast seed on the ground. As this farmer casts the seed on the ground, he's illustrating for us what it's like to get the gospel out. So what does it look like for a Christian to scatter or sow the seed of the gospel? Well, there are two primary things that I want to talk about with scattering. Number one, you must show the gospel to others in the way that you live. In other words, our lives must be a reflection of the fact that the good news of Christ has come and has indeed changed our hearts, changed our hands, changed our feet, changed our mind, changed our entire being. But if you stop there and just say, well, I'm going to live in the steps of Christ and show people what Jesus was like by me, myself, show, uh, having, exercising acts of compassion, I would say to you that's an essential part of what it means to be a gospel witness faithfully. But fundamentally, Jesus did not come merely showing them what the kingdom was like, although he did, but the... The growth of the gospel happened as Jesus proclaimed this good news. It is fundamentally a message. It is at its core, the gospel is a proclamation that the, the King, Jesus Christ, has come. There's a saying that became popular and has been attributed to a variety of people throughout church history. And the saying, which is wrong, was something like this. Share the gospel at all times and if you have to, use words. But I would say to you, it'd be like me saying, could you give me your phone number and if you have to, use digits. You'd look at me and say, oh, that's, that's silly. That's what Jesus, I think, teaches us, both in demonstration and through the example of the New Testament church, throughout the New Testament, that the gospel is not fundamentally something we show, although it should be something we show but it is fundamentally, first and foremost, the gospel is a message of the person of Jesus Christ. All that he has done and all that he is doing while we await for him to finish what he will do, and that is when he comes again one day to consummate the kingdom. But the farmer in Jesus' parable here illustrates for us that the seed does no good while it's sitting on the shelf. In other words, the seed has to get out of the seed bag. And the image of this time and culture would have been that a farmer would have had a bag strapped to his shoulder full of seed, and he would have probably by hand grabbed handfuls and then had a method of scattering the seed. It's our responsibility to get the seed of the gospel out of the seed bag. It's our responsibility to take the word which points us to Jesus in all of his fullness and to tell people about it, to spread the good news. We've got to get the seed out of the seed bag. Our time is short. There's a man named Mark who's a friend of mine. He's a courier and comes to our office twice a week. And when Mark comes in with a packet, I know that he's got a schedule and he's got to move on and go deliver something to somebody else. And so I take moments of opportunity. He tells me a really bad dad joke, without exception. I told him last week I was going to tell him a joke about a pizza, but it was a little too cheesy. 
He really liked that one. He tells me a dad joke, and I take every opportunity I can to plant the seed of the gospel. And I, this doesn't happen every week. I can't tell this story like this every time I go and visit and preach elsewhere. But do you know on Thursday of this past week, when, when my friend Mark came, who's not a Christian, not a believer in Christ, when he came, we were able to have about a seven-minute conversation. Yeah, there were other things I could have been doing. A seven-minute conversation, getting to the heart and the core of the gospel of Jesus. And that happened because I had regularly been planting seeds. And I'm praying, God, bring some fruit, bring some growth. But you've got to take these moments to get the seed out of the seed bag. And if we don't get the seed out of the seed bag, Romans tells us, Romans chapter 10, how will people hear the gospel if we who are sent don't go? Well, because I have 10 points, let's move quickly along. So you've observed a starting point, the seed, the strategy, scatter. And now I want you to notice directly from the text, the word sleep. Verse 27. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. I love that Jesus helps us slow down and remember that though farmers work hard, farmers go to sleep, and they go to sleep tired. Why is this significant for those of us concerned about the growth of the good news of Jesus' kingdom? Because we also go to sleep. I'm not merely talking about the physical practice of getting sleep every night, although that's a great place for us to start. In fact, this week I was reading a book by Andy Crouch called The TechWise Family, and he was talking about how the glow from their screen, our screens inhibits our sleep patterns and abilities. So he's giving some practical tips on how to do this. He, was, he said this, heart, mind, and soul, and strength are all nurtured while we sleep. Sleep is absolutely essential to human flourishing. That statement really resonated with me. I said, yes, amen. And the point of his book is put your technology away in another room, and there are a lot of tips and Techniques you can do that. I encourage you to get that book, The TechWise Family. But even as he was saying, practically speaking, here's how you can maximize your sleep patterns for the sake of your physical health, he also was tying it to the spiritual world, and that's exactly what I think Jesus is doing here as well. You see, there's a temptation for each one of us to feel like somehow the eternal destiny of our family member, or our friend, or our loved one is resting on our shoulders. But the good news of Jesus' kingdom includes the reality that you and I are not God. There's only one God and we're not Him. And when we put our head on the pillow at night, we have an opportunity to make a theological statement. We, we are making a theological statement, whether we know it or not. But let me say it like this. We have the opportunity to embrace a theological reality when we lay our head on the pillow at night. And that is this. And Psalm 121 teaches us that God never sleeps and God never slumbers. But we have to, because of our limitations, our finitude. We are finite people. And there was a life-changing experience that I had as I was a young youth pastor, 21-ish years ago. 
And I was studying, to, I was preparing to lead a course in evangelism for the students in my youth group. 12, 15 kids, something like this. And I'm getting ready this study called Share Jesus Without Fear. And there's a statement that was made in that training course that changed the way that I viewed gospel growth. And it's from this text as well. That the faithful evangelist scatters the seed, he proclaims the gospel, and he goes to sleep. Here's the statement from Chair Jesus Without Fear. We can no longer think of success in evangelism as being that act of leading people to Christ. We must see a faithful evangelist as one who is successful when he faithfully shares the gospel and leaves the results up to God. You, my brother and sister, are a faithful, obedient, and successful evangelist when you share the gospel. What happens with the seed of the gospel is not our burden. What that person does with it and whether their life is changed by it is a work that is God's. We go to sleep. This engenders in our hearts and lives a humility where we regularly, when we go to sleep, we're acknowledging, and I have to confess, I do it begrudgingly often. My wife's far better at this than I am. I've done what I can do today. I'm only making matters work worse by staying up later. <laughs> it's time to go to bed. I've done enough damage, you know. I'm like, no, I can get one more thing done. Take a deep breath. Go to sleep. God's got this. Number six, sprout. Look at what happens when the farmer goes to sleep. Verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day. So there's a cycle here, a pattern of going to sleep. He does his, his job, he's diligent, and then he goes and he's humble and he goes to bed. And then verse 27 tells us, and the seed sprouts. I'm no biologist. I'm no botanist. I don't exactly know scientifically how seeds go from being a seed to being a plant. But I know that people smarter than me in those fields could describe that to you. And there would be a beautiful explanation of that. And even for all of their descriptions from the, the greatest scientists in these fields, there's still a lot of mystery to these things. There's a lot of mystery in nature. And consider this agrarian society 2,000 years ago and how much mystery even was present for them when the seed sprouts. And some seeds do sprout, some seeds don't sprout. How do you understand that? I don't know why and how. The lesson, though, Jesus, I think, teaches us out of this parable. Spiritually speaking, the seed of the gospel sprouts and we don't necessarily understand how it is that the Holy Spirit causes the seed of the gospel to germinate in the human heart and grow into a plant and bear fruit, but nonetheless he does. Sometimes we can't even see it. Sometimes we think we see it and we don't see it. What are the temptations that I've faced in my ministry and just in my Christian journey? 34 years, I think. 
God has a lot of, of growth to do still in me. But a lesson that he keeps bringing me back to is for all of my energy to see God's gospel work immediately and for God to right this wrong, make just this injustice, lead a bitter person from that to forgiveness, lead an enslaved drug addict to deliverance and freedom from addiction, lead this individual enslaved to pornography and see them free from that addiction. For all of my impatience, this parable reminds me that God's Spirit works in God's Spirit's time and God's Spirit's way. And because He's sovereign and all-wise and I'm not, He's leading me to be okay with that. He's leading me. I still pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And yet I still pray in your time in your way, sprout the seed of the gospel. We must never, friends, give in to the temptation to pour miracle grow on the seed. There's no such thing as it relates to gospel growth. We'd love to pour miracle grow on our gardens and make it grow faster and these kinds of things. And churches sometimes have been prone to do these kinds of things. And instead of letting the seed germinate with faithful planting, faithful watering, patient waiting on God to do the work that only God can do, we must never give in to the temptation to try to force a conversion because a forced conversion is a false conversion. And your family, your friends, those loved ones that you would love to see come to know Jesus and say, he's king. Be patient, my friend. So, sleep, watch the spirit sprout. Seventh key word here is sovereignty. The Bible teaches us in many places that God is sovereign. He's in control. He is the king. That's one of the heartbeats of this kingdom message of peace and acknowledging the sovereignty of God in the growth of the gospel is so essential. I mean, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 21.1 that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Mercy, that's hard for me to translate into that loved one in my context of this person. Their heart is in your hand, Lord. You are sovereign. In Exodus 9, 12, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. In Romans 9, we see the teaching in verses 16 through 18 that God hardens one and softens another. And the mystery of that, I can't explain it to you beyond the fact that God is all wise. And God is good. And we trust him to do the right thing. And it's kind of like the lesson that I've seen this last year and a half you know, in some cases, I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm not in the governor of Ohio's shoes. I'm, not, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in their shoes to have to make those hard decisions. I mean, at an infinite scale, <laughs> can you think about being God and trying to figure all this out? I'm glad he's God and I'm not. I don't want that weight. When we think about the sovereignty of God and we think about this parable of the seed growing, we understand that God is the one who brings the growth but he uses us as the means to scatter the seed, but ultimately his spirit is the power behind the change. 
We are used by God, but we cannot do God's work. Consider with me number eight, the soil. Look at verse 27 again. The seed sprouts and grows. He does not know how. Then verse 28 begins with the phrase, the earth produces by itself. This is a word that is a, most of this text here is pretty straightforward as it relates to translating it from the original into English. And you don't have a ton of variation here. It's very straightforward. This word, though, is of significant note because it's used one other time in Acts chapter 12, verse 10. There's a story of God's people being in prison and then God springing them from prison by automatically opening the doors. And the word is automate. It's similar to how we refer to our automobiles as being an automatic. I mean, when I grew up and learned how to drive, it was a four-speed stick shift with a clutch. They don't make many of those these days. And our cars are automatic. They shift on their own. You just push the gas pedal and it automatically goes from first, second, third, fourth, fifth gear. Well, the doors in this story in Acts 12 automatically opened. It says, by human observation, the doors just popped open. Now, we understand that nothing happens by chance or automatically by itself. We understand there are laws of nature, but we also understand that those laws of nature are governed by a sovereign God who is meticulously ruling and reigning over every molecule. And so when it appears to us that something grows automatically, it appears this, the earth just caused that seed to, grow, to, to sprout up and grow. We understand that this is a work of God. Number nine, success in seasons. Verse 28 wraps it up by saying, the earth produces by itself, first the blade, little bitty green blade coming out of the ground, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. There is success in farming, but it comes in seasons, and it would be foolish for us to expect a harvest in springtime, typically. But we plant in spring, we water and then come this time of year, pumpkin spice season, I mean fall season, we harvest the crop. Success comes in seasons. God grows the gospel his way and his time. And we celebrate both faithfulness and fruit. Sometimes we've been guilty of only celebrating the fruit. Celebrating things like, well, this, this many people were baptized Worth celebrating, praise God, but we should also celebrate the faithfulness. I love celebrating when somebody says, I shared the gospel with my neighbor. They did not come to faith in Jesus, they didn't submit to his lordship, but I shared the gospel. We ought to throw a party. Faithfulness and fruit are both worth celebrating because God brings success in different seasons. And that's the way Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. One person plants, one person waters, God gives the increase. And whether you're in a planting or a watering or a carrying, a weeding season, all different kinds of seasons, be faithful where God has placed you, with whom he has placed you. There's a progression of contact that's made with the gospel, this planting of the seed, and then conversion comes. And the gospel continues to grow as that convert, converted one grows in Christ's likeness and becomes then a catalyst 
for one who also spreads the seed. There's one final word I want you to pay close attention to out of verse 29. It says, when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Harvest time is the culmination. Spiritually speaking, there's coming a day. The Bible prophesies this all over the place. Um, Old Testament, go to Joel 3.13, where the sickle is used in future prophetic literature in Joel 3.13 to speak of the harvest that's coming, the judgment that's coming. Jesus told another parable where he talked about how weed, weeds and wheat grow together. And sometimes it breaks our heart to see weeds and wheat grow together, but they grow up together. And one day the harvest is coming where the weeds and the wheat will be separated. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 15, we have another instance of this. I'm going to turn there and read this. Revelation chapter 14, verse 15 says this. Another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Again, in this apocalyptic imagery here, he is pointing, the, the John the revelator is pointing us forward one day to that time in which the sickle comes that time of harvest, that time of judgment, when what was in the dark is now made manifest, and those things that are unclear to us now become clear in that future day. The point of the sickle is, I think, to remind us that our time is limited. For those of us who have not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, we have not embraced this good news as good news, but we've seen it as bad news. The time of judgment is coming. The time of reckoning is coming, and as James says, our life is but a vapor. It comes like a mist, and it's quickly gone. So perhaps you would hear this anticipation of the sickle as a reminder that life is short, and the day of reckoning is coming, and the key question will not be, have you done enough good works to outweigh your bad? The key question will be, have you embraced the seed of the gospel to take root in your heart? And have you watered that seed and received the lordship of Christ in your life and been transformed as a result? For those of us who are seeking ourselves to be better evangelists, may this word be a reminder to you that our time is short and that we may not have many more opportunities with the guys like my courier who comes to my office. With as many miles as he drives, we don't, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So make today the day that you get the seed of the gospel out of the seed bag so that today can be the day that you begin praying and sharing and joining God in the work that he's doing. I want to pray for us and ask that God indeed would take this gospel deep in our hearts, and to the nations around us. Would you pray with me? God, you are faithful and kind to give us this story 
from nature, from the world of agriculture, that the growth of your kingdom happens your way. And it happens for your glory and your time. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be faithful as we get the seed out of the seed bag, as we spread and scatter it abroad, proclaiming that the King has come. We pray also, Lord, that you would continue to grow the gospel in our own hearts so that we indeed would experience that supernatural work of your Holy Spirit ridding us of the old man and bringing about the new that we have in and through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for this family here at Veritas that you would indeed cause them to flourish by your grace and by your spirit. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.